The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Uh, we're doing this so old school, it, it, it feels uh, new again because uh, we had an internet outage. And so we're, we're recording ourselves separately and we're talking over old-fashioned cellular telephones. As old-fashioned as cellular phones could be, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, let, let's cast some shade. What internet provider uh, failed you tonight? Spectrum. Spectrum failed me. <laughs> Spectrum. Formerly Time Warner. Shame on you. Shame, shame. Well, in my area, we had a choice between AT&T and Spectrum, which is sort of like a choice between being punched in the gut or having a brick dropped on your foot. So (laughs) both uh, monopolies or former monopolies at one time and and still trying to keep the monopoly action going. So Ilya, who is on the show today? Wow. We've actually got three folks on the show, all from the movie Brian and Charles, which is about to have a theatrical release. So if you're interested at all in uh, quirky, offbeat comedies, this might be the movie for you. On the show is Jim Archer, David Earl, and Chris Hayward. This is nice. uh, Jim Archer is the director, and we've got the writers slash talent actors. And in a couple minutes, we're going to get right into uh, all the goodness of the interview, which was definitely uh, for one of the odder movies that I've seen. It, it's still got a lot of good things going for it. But let me tell you, if you like Offbeat with a capital O, then, then this is the type of movie for you. Here's how Offbeat I like it. My Father's Day present that I was very excited about was going to see... Guess what movie I went to see from her Father's Day present? The Thing? Crimes of the Future. <laughs> yes, well, uh, that is pretty offbeat. Cronenberg, I hear it's great. I'll have to get your review at, at some point. I loved it. Not for everyone, but man, did I love it. I was so excited <laughs> to see it. So, Ilya, what is our close focus tonight? Well, I teased it just a little bit. The Thing... The uh, famous John Carpenter movie. You'll never guess it made the top 10 box office this week. Did you hear about this? I heard about it. And also, uh, I think I know where you might be headed with this. I'm uh, friends with Mick Garris on Facebook. And so I saw his rant about the presentation of it. Yes. So Fathom Events, which is this fan organization, planned and organized screenings of The Thing, the 1982 John Carpenter horror film, across the country. And people turned out for it, in fact, averaging about $500,000 per screen uh, for this. What? For this, the, yes, exactly. Really, really major, which catapulted it into the top 10 box office That's for amazing. like... 2022 all these years afterwards you know the thing makes the top 10 box office but of course it was not without controversy because the movie screened in a cropped aspect ratio of 185 not the original aspect ratio of 239 now what i think is particularly funny and interesting and wonderful about this is that audiences noticed 
and caused a big stink about it. And holy crap, how long have I been waiting for that day that there are people out there who are paying attention to aspect ratio and going, wait a second, is this right? Is this wrong? This is wrong. We're looking at the wrong and complained. And they say that they have now gone back and for their next screening, they are fixing it and all the screens will be showing it in the correct widescreen aspect ratio. Well, I'm glad I waited. No, well, I read Mick Garris's full uh, post, which he put on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, Mick Garris, who, if you don't know Mick Garris, he's a well-known, he's a podcaster, uh, but he's also Mm. a well-known horror filmmaker going back to the 80s. He's been making horror movies for a long time, probably mentioned often in the same breath as somebody like John Carpenter, definitely somebody who personally knows him and loves his movies. And he's not just a horror filmmaker. He's a massive horror fan and a positive influence in that world. He has a podcast called post-mortem with Mick Garris. And so Mick Garris making a big deal about this is a big deal because it's somebody who knows very well what the presentation should be. Like one of Mick's films could be picked up by these people to be re-released and probably that's not going to happen now. But he went further, (laughs) further saying that he crapped all over them saying, hey, how dare you? It wasn't just in the wrong aspect ratio. He said, like, in action scenes, the uh, imagery got stuttery, like if you were watching Netflix with bad internet connection. And uh, in my heart, John Carpenter's The Thing is, depending on the week, number one or number two in my heart. I love that movie. And I've seen it on the big screen several times, most notably at the New Beverly Cinema in 35 millimeter which is probably the best way to see it. But it is cool that they brought it back. It's the 40th anniversary of that movie. Uh, it, it's one of the most copied horror movies ever. It's it's just perfect. It's it's wonderful. And reading Mick's thing made me go, ah, because I was, in the back of my mind, I was having FOMO about not being able to go see it. And now I'm like, ah. Well, the next screening, it'll be fixed. So Yeah, well, that'll be fixed. But how will the what will the picture quality be like? You know, like Shout Factory released a Blu-ray of it uh, probably five or six years ago. I don't buy a lot of Blu-rays, but it was one that I bought because it was supervised by the DP and they retransferred the camera negative. And it's probably the most pristine looking uh, transfer of it that you can get. And like, I wonder, I'm assuming that they're digitally projecting it. I wonder if they took it off of those elements. What's the deal? What version of it are we watching? And the fact that you could even watch it cropped is just, uh, that's banana pants to me. I can't believe that that's even an option. How could you get it cropped? How could you screw it up that bad? That's a real screw up. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question, especially since it, if it was a 185 crop, that means they they crop the left and the right side, which is yeah. which is odd, which is an odd. That means that things towards the edge of frame really didn't feel like it had the right framing. And, you know, in beautiful widescreen format, you know, in a 239 format, you might have someone in the foreground on the left and someone in the background on the yeah. right or vice versa. And if you're yep. cropping the sides, that means that people's heads or things might be might be falling off. It gets a little little awkward, a little too close for comfort but also like you don't accidentally push a button and make a 185 crop you had to make a choice to do it like it's not a goof it's a thing that you chose somebody made a bad call yeah someone's bad call but hey uh, let me tell you i'm really thrilled that audiences spoke up about this because i think that a lot of dps out there in particular and a lot of filmmakers have a perception that the vast majority of the the movie going audience 
isn't aware of this stuff and it does, isn't paying attention and just thinks that whatever's in front of them must be correct. And there's a human aspect to all of this, which no pun intended with aspect ratio, that aspect of, of the human is what's fallible. And people don't necessarily know what something's going to be, especially if they don't have the appropriate notes, if they've got a particular you know, scan of the project that might might be what's called open gate. They might have you know, had to create yeah. a crop somewhere. Uh, there's all kinds of things that could have happened, but clearly communication uh, was not one of those things that did happen. And then there was a mistake that was made. And next thing you know, uh, there, there are thousands of people all over the country who are upset because here they got so excited to go out and see this movie and it was wrong. Yeah, it reminds me actually of an Onion article from for years and years ago in which a teenage boy was very depressed for getting the movie that he wanted for Christmas. <laughs> But it came in the full frame format and not letterboxed. Whoops. Yeah. I mean, basically, bottom line, don't fuck with cinephiles. If you went to see a movie that was in major release right now and they screwed up the aspect ratio, that's one thing. But this is a movie that has a pretty sizable fan base, obviously, if it could get into the top 10, which it never got into the top 10 when the movie was in theaters. So, you know, to me, it's like it's legend has grown. It's just unbelievably frustrating, but I'm glad Mick Garris is out there fighting the good fight. I think that fans deserve their money back on that because it's frankly, yeah. you know, you might as well saying it's like, you know, missing a color or you're listening to it in mono or, or any other sort of thing that could have could have been completely wrong. It's like aspect ratios in a very important thing. It's like someone is blocking off part of your screen and you can't see what's supposed to be there. So anyway, and I remember back back in the four by three TV days getting into arguments with people about letterboxing because they didn't care for it. But I feel like in this day and age where we're used to seeing stuff, even stuff that's made for Netflix is made in 235. So we're just kind of used to letterboxes because we have really big TVs now. You're not losing a third of your television if you letterbox it and the image looks better. And so people people get it. People get aspect ratio. They might not know the term aspect ratio, but they will know that the movie that they watched at home had more stuff in it than the thing they're seeing in the theater. And uh, people like obviously Mick Garris and the serious cinephiles out there are going to are going to know that stuff. And, you know, it's it's super frustrating. But, you know. All right. Just just to put a cap around this, I have to take umbrage with the expression of 235. There is actually almost no 235, but yet people use it every day. 235 is incorrect. What people think is 235 is actually 239, and some people round up to 240, and that's more correct. But yet 235, if you wow. go back through the annals of aspect ratios for, for cinema, you can find a whole lot of movies that are labeled incorrectly as 235 because there's a bunch of people who screwed up over the years. But the reality is, is that almost all of those movies are 239 and very, very few of them are 235. And you can measure them and to actually tell the difference. Wow. I just got schooled. And sorry, I, I just want to say to I just want to say to anyone listening to this, by the way, not only did I go to proper film school and work as a filmmaker, but I also worked as a projectionist. So uh, I've been getting incorrect. I, I believe everything you just said. I've been getting incorrect information from literally everyone that I ever learned anything from up until now. So uh, but I, I wonder if I say two, three, nine, if I'll just sound like a you, you'll you'll sound like, slightly more pretentious, but you'll actually be correct. In fact, everyone out there saying two, four, oh, they're really talking about two, three, nine. And I understand the, the tendency to round up. But to say two, three, five, that's really how wrong. did we, how did we, I mean, it's a total digression from what we're talking about, but how do we get that stuck in our heads then? There, there's articles that have kind of been written about this, and 
it's kind of like, you know, I think the, the mistakes that get proliferated sort of like C47 and, and things like that, you know, C47 being like a code name. It, once it gets kind of into the lexicon, people repeat it. But I think it had a lot to do with the era of DVDs. It seemed like when DVDs started really moving out into the world and there was a real push to get things to be, uh, they actually were anamorphic DVDs and it's a, it's a different technology, but it essentially allowed your DVD player to de-squeeze and you could fit more resolution in there. Well, I think I've been saying two, three, five. I've been saying two, three, five since way before DVDs. So I can't blame DVDs on that. Okay, well, uh, the American Cinematographer's Manual that was edited by my former boss, Rob Hummel, he has a whole section all about that. And he and I have had uh, conversations quite a bit. 235 is the misnomer. 239 is correct. Most people just say 235 and we all just, you know, nod our heads and know what they mean and know that they're talking about 239. There, there were a couple movies that actually really did I'm just, 235. I, I'm honestly, like, right yeah. now, I'm filled with shame. How many times... Yeah, I've known you for 20 years. How many times have I said 235? Uh, twice. I don't, I don't know. I just, I just let it slide every time. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so, hey, let's get to the interview with the creative team behind Brian and Charles. All right. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Hey, I'm joined now by the creative team behind Brian and Charles. I've got director Jim Archer and writers Chris Hayward and David Earle with me. Thank you so much for being on the Cinematography Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you, you had a, a wonderful achievement. You've got uh, your movie, Brian and Charles, of the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. Its premiere is coming up in, in uh, tomorrow. Tell me how the, the ride has been so far. A lot of uh, anticipation. Yeah, well, I think so. I don't know. Like, it's quite hard to judge what the anticipation is when you're sort of sat uh, in a room. That was Jim Archer, the director. And uh, Chris and David, if you could both identify yourself too, so our listeners know who you are. Yeah, I'm Chris Hayward. I play the part of Charles Petrescu. I also wrote the script with David. I'm David L. I play the part of Brian, and I wrote it as well. And Jim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well, too? I'm Jim Archer, and I am the director. All right. So often when having these interviews, I do like my 10-second synopsis of what uh, a movie is or what, a, you know, it's, it's almost like a logline or a pitch of like what's going on in this movie. I don't want to do that with Brian and Charles. It, it, is, it is, I have to say, in a good way, it is not like anything I've ever seen. Would one of you gentlemen like to take a quick stab at this delightful movie? I guess it's a, it's a story about Brian, who is a lonely inventor living in the Welsh countryside who gets so lonely that he builds a robot. And that robot, they have adventures together and they, they sort of win over some people. And it's a, a touching, gentle story in which uh, I, I would actually call it a love story. I would call it a love story on a grand scale. And I, I think that this movie is charming and that a lot of people really enjoy it. Can you tell me at all about the, the origination of the story, the origination of the script? So uh, I've been performing as Brian for quite a few years on the stand-up circuit. And then I did a terrible internet radio phone-in show where members of the public would ring in and as Brian, I'd try and communicate with him. And the joke was he should not have his own radio show. And then one night, Rupert, our producer, called in using this voice simulation software. And that was kind of the birth of Charles. So Brian would trying to communicate with Charles and it just really made us laugh like and then Chris was listening at the time and we all sort of chatted about making it a live show so Chris went away and built it over to you Chris yeah so I I had an idea what he would look like 
and we started doing live gigs. So we do live comedy gigs where it'd be Brian and Charles on the stage. And then Rupert would be sat at the back of the room typing what Charles would say. And that allowed us to interact with the audience. And, uh, so we did that on and off for a couple of years. I mean, sometimes people liked it, other times people just looked baffled. And then we got to a point where we wanted to just make a short film with them together and just, um, just film them together, mainly for something for us, cause we, something to do and just to get them a little film with them shot. So we made the short film and we, yeah, we just did that for fun. Really. We weren't really expecting that much to come off the back of it because it's so difficult to get anything away anyway. Anyway, we got back to a few festivals and yeah, it went down really well. And that led to film four seeing it and they commissioned a script for a feature. So at that point we started to work out how could these two sustain <laughs> a feature film. Yeah. And also filming it, I always felt like it was a ga- such a gamble on set. I'd see Chris would sort of walk in as Charles. Oh, geez. I'd look at it and go, Jesus Christ, this could really flop. <laughs> Is that what you thought? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, my mum likes it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was always the slight worry, even when we were making the film. Are people going to see this as a robot or are they going to just see it as a really bad costume that I'm wearing? <laughs> I believe Charles as a character. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think after we saw the first few rushes, we, we were kind of assured that, oh, yeah, it does, you weirdly do buy into it. And it works. <laughs> Clearly, you had hundreds of millions of dollars to make this movie. And I appreciate the aesthetic very much. And I, I actually want to talk, you know, this is the cinematography podcast. I want to talk about the aesthetic a little bit. When envisioning how this whole thing might come together, and perhaps, Jim, you, you might have some thoughts on this. Uh, what was the intention behind the aesthetic? What was the the idea of of how you wanted to make this movie look? Yeah, I mean, with the short, I just wanted, like, I just actually made, like, a documentary parody, like, little short film that was, like, four minutes long. I was kind of obsessed with, like, the kind of overly arty docs that, like, sort of looked great, said very little. Uh, And then I got the script for this, and I sort of was like, oh, this would be perfect to do for this. But also at the same time, I was like, the more seriously we kind of, like, treated it, I thought the funnier it would be. So I was like, if we made this super kind of, cinematic and over the top and atmospheric and when you sort of reveal charles and brian like pottering around a little cottage in wales it's gonna be even funnier so that was kind of the idea for the short and then and then with the film we're just like okay we'll just advance that like i think i always just was just like treat it like very honestly and seriously and also i was very frustrated with lots of like what mockumentaries sort of look like these days that they they sort of they often like copy other mockumentaries but they don't actually reflect what documentaries look like so I was quite keen for it to feel like a real doc, that, uh, like a current doc that you might see on Netflix or something. Uh, I, I agree. I think you did a really good job capturing that aesthetic. And and actually, I was going to say that it, it very much feels sort of like a doc I would see at Sundance. It feels like a, a documentary that is on the festival circuit and has a an element of, of artiness to it that really, I would say that uh, you did a great job capturing and making it feel like the type of movie that a lot of people who go to festivals are are used to seeing. So I, I definitely get the idea that this is the elongation of the short and that it and that it's a comedy and that it's documentary style. But when you were trying to to come up with the the general concept of what this, this might be, what were your references? What what did you say we want to make something that is like X? Is there was there something that you that exists out there that you were like, this is this is what we're going for. We're going to make something that's in this style or in this vibe. 
because I really can't think of something I've seen that is like this. If you were going for uniqueness, I think you really captured it. It doesn't feel like other things to me. And I think that's that's wonderful. It's it's great to see something you've never seen before. For me, it's, I don't know about you, I, I felt like the main thing was, so I was a massive American movie fan, the documentary, the Mark Borchardt. And so that and... Monster Roads. Monster Road, the obsessive guy who's into clay modeling and uh, and just these, they felt like kind of lonely people desperate to for their dream to come true or just throwing their life into these little projects. And then there was a, there was a British, tiny little British documentary from the early nineties set on a, in a tower block, which is these odd little characters trying to get along and fighting. And for me, those were the three, I don't know what about you, Chris, but. Yeah. Well, I think when we started as well, tonally, we were trying to decide what sort of tone we'd have. And it, it had a little bit of a darker tone at first, like we always really liked films like uh, Dead Man's Shoes and yeah. slightly grittier films that softened a little bit. So yeah, I guess it's an amalgamation of things. And it's also things from our own lives. And I mean, I grew up in the countryside. Well, as did, as did David. And I think- I always um, had it sort of Pixar as well. If Pixar made a, you know. Yeah, you just happened to come out the way it did. <laughs> Actually, yeah. like, I think that was what was good about it was that you you guys sort of send me all these clips and these sort of YouTube things of like, of this, of, the, of those docs and, and I obviously I loved American movie anyway. And then I guess I had my idea of like aesthetically how it would be. So we had these sort of like performance things and then we sort of tied all that together. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the countryside as well. So I think we all just, that rural feeling was like important. There's, the, there's, yeah. there's, there's a film, there's a documentary called Sleep Furiously, which is like set in Wales which I took a bit of inspiration from, was like, absolutely nothing happens in it. It's just like shots of the countryside. But I was like, oh, well, it'd be quite cool to see a robot in that. Yeah. Uh, I'm from a town of 4,000 people in rural Northern California, and uh, I can relate to small town life quite a bit. And uh, I have to say that, yeah, it, it really worked for me. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it for for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, but uh, the ending is very satisfying. It's an, it's an incredibly satisfying ending. And I would encourage people to actually watch th through the credits as well, too. And there's a musical sort of number that happens uh, over the credits. And for me, it just kind of like ties the whole thing up in a, in a really nice nice bow was that there from the beginning was it an afterthought was it like something you did for fun and it kind of made its way in there i'm just curious about how that came in or did you say from the beginning like this is exactly how we want to do it over the credits and little music what was the plan behind that i think that was just we just sort of like came up with that quite late on when we like like the the, the song at the end of the film finishes at a certain point and we needed another song to come in we're like well well because we did we did do an extra scene didn't we uh, at the end of the film that we filmed, but we never used in the end, which was kind of, didn't we? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. But we, yeah, did, yeah. we didn't, we chopped that out and went for the, the photographs and yeah. Yeah, but, but are you also specifically talking about the rap? I am. Yes, I'm, I'm oh, talking about the rap. <laughs> I didn't think it, I, I, I was rap. trying to be vague. I was trying to be vague for the for the audience, so then I give it away. But then, uh, Jim, I, I appreciate oh, well, that. Yeah, it's not, it's not like we can still keep it vague. All we've said is is the rap. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, we definitely didn't think that was like tying anything together. It's nice that you think it does. I think it was just like, oh, that made fun. Okay. Well, I, I certainly felt that way. So, gentlemen, uh, the life of the filmmaker is uh, typically one where uh, you move from project to project and you have multiple things in development at a time and you never 
quite necessarily know what the next one is going to be. Uh, what's next for you? Do you have uh, something else in the queue? Are you uh, are you planning something uh, coming up here in the not too distant future? Maybe there's you know, there's always th- like things bubbling, nothing like oh this is happening next. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess see how Sundance goes. Well, uh, yeah. where can people where can people find you if they want to check out uh, the trailer or follow your social medias or anything like that in case they want more Brian and Charles in their life. Bloody hell. Um, <laughs> on, Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, as Charles Petrescu has got his own Twitter account now. Fantastic. Uh, we will get that the Twitter account and we'll add it to our show notes. So if anyone listening to Sound of My Voice <laughs> wants to go and follow Charles Petrescu, uh, you can you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> please do that. He's only got 12 followers. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, after this interview, I'll go do it and he'll have 13. So. Hey. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I, I can't wait to follow the, the progress of Brian and Charles. Thanks, Thanks very much. much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. So that was the creative team behind Brian and Charles. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> you, I, I think it might be exactly your cup of tea. It might, it might really be for you. It's, it really sounds like it is. All right, so Ben, you know what time it is. Uh, time for me to get a new internet provider. <laughs> Undoubtedly, that's true. But it is also time for us to pay the bills. Uh, we got to thank our fine friends over at Airy, sponsor of the show and makers of incredible equipment, uh, cameras, lenses, lighting, in particular for the motion picture and television industry. They are killing it right now with the introduction of the Alexa 35. And we talked about this uh, a week ago, but I think it bears repeating because uh, in a very short period of time, it has become one of the most successful camera launches ever. And it, this sort of thing only happens maybe, you know, once a decade or so. But it's a new camera. Uh, I've gotten to, to see it and play around with it a bit. And Ari's going to be in our shop again, actually, tomorrow, doing more sort of in-depth training on it. And the camera is bonkers. It is going to create so many waves. You know, and look, you know, we're spoiled. Cameras have been great for a really long time. And this is truly yeah. a golden age of cameras but to raise the bar and to do it with a super 35 format camera it's damn impressive and there's all kinds of like really cool features like uh you know the dedicated lens mounts like a dedicated uh, pl mount that you can get for this which you know their their new format is lpl which is a large format pl mount uh but they're adding like extra functions and features that are just like real convenience things like the ability to connect either uh lbus which is an airy standard connection right at the right at the mount so it's easy to connect motors for zoom and focus but they also have a version which it has what's called a Hiroshi connector on there. So for people who are using, uh, you know, shooting more documentary style, they can do cinema documentary style productions really easily now plugging in their zoom motors straight to the mount. And uh, they can, you know, rock and roll with the servo, you know, zoom motor system, which, you know, everyone's used to the look of that. That's, you know, very much the, the very smooth motorized zooms that you might see from any sort of production like television or documentary style. They're building in extra functionality into this camera for that. And it's got a new battery format, which you, you might think like, oh, why would you want to mess with perfection? But the truth of the matter is, is that the camera is 24 volts and the two sort of dominant standards out there, which are which are V-mount and gold mount are both very good, but they really have elevated the mount on their camera system, this new B-mount, they call it, and all the major battery manufacturers have gotten involved. And so all of them are going to be making these 
you know, batteries to work with their camera system, and they're very, very clever dual voltage, meaning you plug the battery onto this camera, and voila, the camera receives the 24 volts it wants. You use that same clever new mount on another camera system, and it automatically gives it the correct 12 or 14 volts that that other camera needs. And uh, cameras in the past, if you made such a mistake like that, usually you ended up with like smoke coming out of the camera because, uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, not the camera being way underpowered, but you know, the, the B mount system is smart enough. And then it's uh, a physical connection and that it only works one way. So uh, you can't screw it up. So I got to say, you know, even though we talked about this a week ago, it's worth mentioning it again, just cause it's such a big deal. And it's like, it's not like Aerie has been bored. They've got stuff going on. They've got ex- new accessories. They've got new all kinds of other stuff but i felt like it was worth talking about this camera one more time and we'll probably talk about it again it it's they say it's going to ship in july i think it'll ship a few we'll see i don't know uh, hot ride cameras got, took a tremendous number of orders and uh we're really looking forward to it oh so one thing i think that's going to be difficult initially is going to be media uh i hear that media is only shipping with cameras so anyone out there who just wanted to like buy some extra media or worse buy a camera without also ordering media might be waiting for for quite a while so anyway uh yeah. Ari, alexa 35 uh, amazing new camera and can't wait to see it again in person tomorrow it'll be great now short ends ben it is short end time you know this is the time of the show where we talk about our obsession of the week it can be just about anything Uh, what is your short end what are you obsessed about there is a new series on fx well it's yeah it's on fx and you can get it on hulu called the old man starring jeff bridges and uh it's actually directed by john watts of spider-man fame and it's got cinematography by Jules O'Laughlin, Sean Porter, and Armando Salas, who's been on the show. Oh, wow. It is a gorgeous, amazing, crazy dark show. It stars Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow as like two guys who used to work for the CIA some time ago. And Jeff Bridges sort of disappeared himself and kind of took on another life and went away and was more of a cowboy. Meanwhile, John Lithgow's more of a bean counter type. And this is them re-encountering each other as old men. The Jeff Bridges character who intentionally vanished, an old adversary of his has found him. And now he has to go on the run again. And, and uh, there are some just unbelievably amazing fight scenes that are done in virtual oneers or ver- with very little coverage and it's really Jeff Bridges and I-, I think something needs to be said about this especially given that we've got a director who is known for making Spider-Man movies is that these fights don't look like balletic John Woo beautiful fights they look like two people trying to murder each other and they're grapply and ugly and, uh, and and just really really well done and really do incorporate often uh, Jeff Bridges so it's an impressive piece of work. The cinematography is gorgeous. The editing, the pacing, it's a really compelling story. Can't wait to see where it goes. They dropped two episodes last week. I uh, gobbled them down both, and I, I can't wait to watch the rest of the series. Well, hey, uh, I actually just watched the trailer for that series last night, and uh, I was curious about it because uh, the cover art on Hulu looked almost exactly like another show I'd been watching called Outer Range. And for a second, I was like, 
whoa, wait a second. Uh, is this Jeff Bridges channeling like Josh Brolin or what's what's going on here? Just because, of course, Josh Brolin stars in Outer Range and it's a, it's a really wonderful, you know, little series. But no, then uh, then I saw this and it, it was totally something completely different. Uh, but cool. Hey, it's, I, it's, I guess funny I that, to... it's funny that you would mention the key art. Uh, one of the parents of a kid that my son plays soccer with is one of the people who creates all the key art for FX. So we're always talking about like he talked about creating the key art for the old man or uh, for Pistol or they've got a, he's got a new show with Steve Carell or whatever. And he's he's like super art directing. I should get him on the show. Nobody knows anything about I shouldn't say nobody. It, it is an unknown thing probably to a lot of our audience how key art is created. I wonder if I could get him on the show. It'd be really interesting to talk to him about it because they're taking a, a cue from the show and the look of the show. He was kind of telling me about it, but they're like hiring outside photographers, bringing in the real talent. It's a fascinating process that's uh, very unusual uh, and very specific. Yeah, I, I agree. It's something that uh, I think a lot of people don't really think about. But, you know, the one sheets, all the the associated art that goes along with the project, that's somebody's job to come up with that. So I think that it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. I mean, it's, no one's yeah. just waving a magic wand. But before you know it, you know, there might be a Dolly-esque, uh, you know, <laughs> AI program that come that creates the key art. But but not not, not yet. Mm. Not now. It's a person. So wouldn't count on it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, Elio. <laughs> So what is uh, is your short end? Oh, man. OK, so in the past week, DJI introduced a whole bunch of new accessories. They have a, a new monitor. They have a new wireless video system. But I think the, the thing that's probably going to make the most waves is their new gimbal. And gimbals have in a lot of ways replaced Steadicams, not necessarily Steadicams for major motion pictures. But th- there's people out there calling themselves filmmakers. Maybe what they are are uh, content creators or YouTubers or whatever it is. But the yeah. gimbal has become a thing. I see people using it for real estate that gets used for wedding. It's essentially a way to move a camera uh, smoothly through space that it doesn't require years and years of training the way a, you know, a traditional Steadicam unit uh, would. Now, now, DJI has probably become the number one provider of gimbals to sort of like the, the various markets that are out there. And probably their most popular product was called the uh, Ronin S2. That is now has a a new version out called the Ronin S3, and it's basically got all the things that the Ronin S2 did, except it's better with a better screen and more capacity as far as space goes. Still has the same weight capacity of 10 pounds, but uh, I have a feeling that people out there who didn't get into the RS2 or are looking to get into a gimbal now will probably gravitate towards this and a slightly smaller, lighter weight version. And there's good reason. They're probably the best ones they've ever made. DJI is actually going to be at Hot Red Cameras on Wednesday when this episode goes live. And uh, if anyone's listening to it, at, you know we're actually having DJI stick around for a few hours until about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So anyone who happens to wander into Hot Red Cameras on Wednesday can actually play with all this new stuff before it's officially released. But uh, we haven't really advertised it. I'm going to put something out on Instagram, I think probably tonight, maybe tomorrow. But uh, yeah, if you just happen to be in L.A. and you want to play with some new stuff before anyone else gets to see it, it will be in our shop from about 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it's all really freaking cool. We're talking about like peak sensors. This is really peak gear. Everything has gotten so much better in the last couple of generations that people without a lot of experience, people without a lot of knowledge, people without a lot of training really can, if you're dedic- if they're dedicated and they want to apply themselves, become masters of this technology in a way that would have been so much more difficult just five years ago. Now, it's it's yeah. it really, it doesn't replace what everyone is doing at the, the high, high pro end of the market, but 
I will tell you the indie people out there, the indie people have never had more tools to do something amazing than they have right now. And people who approach that with a lot of intention and a lot of desire and a lot of discipline, boy, <laughs> it is not going to be surprising that someone could make something that uh, on a very low budget that that looks like they spent a, a fortune. But uh, certainly the camera technology is not the limiting factor anymore. No, for sure. It's it's pretty amazing to think about it coming from where you and I both came from in our own respective ways and how far the gear has come and what you can do with it. It, it wasn't that many years ago that people were like, you can't shoot anything on digital. Digital will not will not replace film. And now we've got like little tiny cameras that are doing better than what, what film could well, ever do, which is. And amazing. I remember even like like being at a trade show and having a camera company explain to me why they can't make a super 35 sensor or why they can't do slow motion more than 60 frames per second or, you know, on and on and on. Or even uh, I remember when the Canon 5D Mark II came out and a Canon rep explained to me why they could never do 24 frames per second, which they were actually able to change within that camera like that was just a firmware update and they were able to do it eventually and so you know to me we're kind of living a, a dream that you know when you when you and i met we, we might have like speculated maybe one day some of this stuff would exist and now i feel like it's gone so far beyond anything i could have imagined well, uh, you know, it's not anything uh, beyond what we could have hoped for, because really what we're getting now is systems that are fundamentally better than motion picture film that have more features and more functionality and are less expensive and lighter and more compact and everything else. It's really you have never had more freedom, more flexibility and more control. And that's, I think, what everyone wants. And less of an excuse to not go make your goddamn movie. So do it anyway. Um <laughs> So, Ilya, who do we need to thank this week as opposed to all the other weeks? It's the same people. Just copy paste <laughs> Ben Katz. Yeah, uh, let's th let's start with Ben Katz. Ben Katz, uh, you didn't have the easiest job this week. I hope that uh, you made it through OK. And oh, we should probably mention that there's a possibility that we might take the week off next week. We're going to try and figure it out. But if we can't, just know that when an episode doesn't arrive in your queue, there's a good reason for it. And uh, we will be back the following week. No, no later than the following week with new episodes. Episodes. Excellent. Uh, we should also thank Kay's Alatrakshi, who composed every scrap of music that you heard in this podcast. You can find him at musicbykays.com and hire him to uh, compose your next score or color grade your next film or do some CGI or to direct your script. He can do all those things, and I'm not even kind of exaggerating. Check out Kay's. <laughs> And lastly, we should thank uh, our uh, intrepid producer, Alana Cody, who uh, has really got us. Uh, we, we have a, a kick-ass interview tomorrow morning. So as we're doing this, uh, honestly, in uh, 12 hours from now, I will have already done yet another interview. Uh, she's just working overtime getting us these amazing interviews, and we can't thank her enough for this. So, so Ben, I think that's just going to do it. Uh, where can people find you if they want to find you on the interwebs? please go to benrock.com you can uh, watch my reel and check out my socials and uh, hook up with me on whatever uh, media platform you like except i'm not on tiktok but you know the, the other <laughs> ones i'm there how about yourself Ilya? where can people find you uh they can find me over at hot red cameras hotredcameras.com also the the linkedin people are finding me on on linkedin this week so uh, you can also reach out to me over there happy to help advise and consult on studio build outs that's uh, something we're, we're doing this week we're building out another studio so yeah lots of stuff sweet well thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week thanks for listening 
This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thank you.